Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. I want us to look at how Jesus dealt with a topic that has truly become an epidemic in our culture. We are all affected by it in one form or another. In some way, we have either experienced this personally, we will experience it personally, or we are dealing with people around us who have been in deep anxiety and pressure. They suffer from a worry sickness. And if you've been around someone who has had traumatic things happen in their lives or maybe a life-altering circumstance, worry and anxiety can stop us in our tracks. They can paralyze our forward momentum in life and cause us to question not only who we are, but our calling and what God really is all about and doing in our lives. And Jesus knew this all too well, and so therefore he gave some instructions to his disciples. In chapter 12, verse 22, it says, and he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, let's say these words together, do not worry. This is Jesus now, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which, either, uh, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? That's about 18 inches. One cubit is about 18 inches. You can't grow yourself up physically by worrying, and Jesus says as much. Verse 26. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious, everybody say anxious, for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither tend nor, uh, toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which is today and in the field tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Everybody say an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things, but seek the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. How many of these things, church? All, all of these things will be added to you. Dr. Thomas Kempler did a, a survey on worry, and I'm gonna put the stats up uh, on the screen so you can see. And he, he concluded this, that at the end of his survey, 40% of the things that we worry about, get this, never even happen. That's the majority of the things we worry about never even take place in the long run. 30% of the things we worry about, a close second, already happen. We can't change the past. We can only make a better future based upon the decisions and the actions and the things that happen in the past. So it's First of all, things that will never happen, then things that are the past. Another 12%, he said, we worry about our people's opinions, what others are going to think, what others are going to say. We worry about how that we are going to be sized up and judged. If we would really focus on where some of this comes from, some of the criticism, some of the worry we have of other people, many times it's just jealousy or an insecurity on their part. And when someone is uber sensitive and curious and worried about what you're doing, always want to know what you're doing, really in a, in a form, it's kind of like a compliment 
They, they think your life is that interesting that they want to keep tabs on you. We shouldn't worry about what others are thinking about what we're thinking or what we're doing. 10%, he says, is over health concerns, which actually scientifically has been proven just serves to make your health worse. And then 8% of the things we worry about are legitimate. And Jesus does not minimize the legitimacy of having cares of life. He understands, he was human like we, he understands that we can have these cares in our life. But we can get too far out on the limb of worrying and being anxious of things that really have no eternal significance, that really don't even have a value beyond the shelf life of tomorrow. I remember reading about a guy one time that was so concerned about the way he looked, about the way that, that his physique was and his, his smile and his face, that actually he went and bought braces for his false teeth. His wife was a little bit up there in age, and he was so concerned about the way that she looked that he convinced her that it was necessary that she would have a facelift anxiety-ridden and kind of worried about this decision. She didn't like surgery and didn't like the thought of going under anesthesia. She said, yeah, but what if after this facelift, I, I get out of the surgery and I die 30 minutes later? What then? He thought about it. He said, well, honey, at least we can have an open casket. <laughs> we worry needlessly about things that don't have a very long shelf life. And then we project that worry on others and cause them to make decisions or choices that really they would have never wanted to make or they wouldn't have chosen on their own because of our own anxieties. But seriously, it's amazing how that 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples, the culture of the day, was in a place of worry. Jesus would not have spoken on this, would not have taught on this if it wasn't something that was applicable then and is also applicable now. In our day, in the time that we live, worry has become like an acceptable sin. It has become something that we kind of scoff at a little bit, we laugh at, we, we just kind of almost take it as something that is, is common to life. And in a sense, it is common to life. But if I were to ask for a show of hands here this morning, how many of you in the last week committed adultery? How many of you had blatant lying on your lips? How many were overeating gluttonous this week? Not very many hands would go up. But if I were to say, how many would be honest with me today and say, you've worried just a little bit in the last week? A lot of hands would go up. See, it has become somewhat acceptable for us to embed this into our living. And Jesus says to us very adamantly, do not worry. He says it not because it's easy to overcome. He recognizes it's going to be very difficult to overcome. In fact, if you try in your own strength to muster up your own mental capacity to, to just will yourself not to worry, you're not going to get very far. But if you will rely on the words of Jesus, if you will rely on the rest of the things he says in this text, if you will put your faith in him, now you have a means by which you can navigate all the worries, all the cares, all of the anxieties of this life by putting them at the feet of Jesus. He says in verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. When we persistently stay in a mindset and in a heart of worry, what we are saying to God de facto is, I don't trust you or I can't trust you. Amen. Come 
But when we surrender our anxious thoughts, when we surrender our worries, our cares and our concerns, I like how Peter said it. Peter, the apostle said, cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. You can cast them on God. We don't cast very much in our culture. We kind of just lay them aside for a while. But Jesus tells us that we're not to worry. And the apostle Peter gives even further instruction. He says, just take those worry, lift them up and cast them on the Lord. That's why I love our, our prayer time every single week. Every time that we gather together for corporate worship, we reemphasize and we say our altars are open. What does that mean? That means you have a free zone to cast something on Jesus, to cast your cares on God. And if you observe from this morning, just what happened is that when one comes, usually another one will come and then it'll spur someone else to come. And maybe you're coming to pray for another, or maybe it was just the strength of someone walking that aisle that you said, you know what? I need to be there too. There's something else I need to cast onto God. I want to be where God is doing a work, where God is accessible and available and where people of faith can link together, where we can anoint a cloth as a point of contact to send to someone who is sick or ill to believe God for big things, to believe in the God of miracles and sit back and watch and wait and see what God will do, to have a posture of actively expecting that God is in the midst of his people and that God wants good things for his children because God wants good things for you. Jesus said life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. He doesn't deny the fact of physical and material needs, but he's saying they have to be put into proper order. There is a perspective. And I think for our day, it's this, how much is enough? How much gourmet dinner can you really eat? I've had fast food, I've had home cooked, and I've had gourmet in my life. In different seasons, in different times, if I'm on the run, I don't want gourmet because I don't have time to sit down and enjoy it. Fast food will suffice. If, if it's been a long day, I just like to come home to a good home-cooked meal. But the question is this, how much is enough? Because as, matter, as much food as you take in, you can have a meal today and tomorrow you're going to be hungry, whether it was fast food, home-cooked, or gourmet. It doesn't matter what kind of style of cooking that it was, how much or how expensive that the meal was, you are going to be hungry again. And this is Jesus' point. You cannot simply focus on material and physical needs in this life because life is more than just what you see. The things which are seen are temporal, temporary, but the things which are unseen, those things are eternal. And then he transitions over to your body and having clothes on it. And yes, you need to have clothing. And yes, you should, you should dress your best for God, whatever that happens to be. You should dress in such a way that, that would be pleasing unto the Lord. Do, do the best that you can with the, the budget and the means that you have. But Jesus is, is emphasizing for us, there are all kinds of wardrobe options and all kinds of designer clothes. And then there's thrift store clothes and there's any, everything in between. And life is not about where you bought your clothes. Life is not about where you had your meal. He talks about the body, how that we, we, we can lift weights and we can work out and we can be physically fit. But Jesus is saying, listen, that's all fine and good. But if you focus, if your emphasis is on just your appearance, just looking good, then you can easily be like the Pharisees for they had long robes and they had sad faces and they made prayers that were eloquent in the temple. But on the inside, Jesus said, you are like dead men's bones on the inside. 
there's something not right with your heart, having the externals all in place is not the goal of the Christian life. There's only so many workouts, so much gourmet food, designer clothes that will satisfy until they don't satisfy. But Jesus knows we'll probably try them anyway. I remember hearing a a multi-billionaire being uh, interviewed by a reporter. And the billionaire said, said this thing, which is really astounding in our ears. We have a hard time with the concept of a billion, how much a billion is. It is a massive number. And this interviewer said to the billionaire, how does it feel to be a multi-billionaire? To which he says, you know, it just doesn't satisfy the way you think. Money isn't the answer to everything. And then the reporter says, well, I would like to try it. (laughs) You could test me with that God. You could test me with being mega wealthy. I'd like to try it. Jesus knows that we're going to try all these things. He knows that we're going to put some things on. We're going to want some nicer designer, some better food. He knows that we're going to want all these things. And for a temporary time, they will satisfy until they don't, until they fall short, until there's a longing again in our hearts for something else. And Jesus said there are some better options. And he gives us this transition point of perspective by the word consider. Now just say that, consider. This is Jesus' words. He said, consider. Consider by means of comparison. So he he has us to redirect our thoughts towards a consideration of something in nature that is easily observable. In one place, he says, consider the ravens. In another place, he says, consider the birds. So let's just go with the ravens. That's what he says here. But let's consider those flying animals. And let's, Jesus said, let's become bird watchers for a minute. Consider the birds. Now, I've never known of a study that has been done that has determined that birds have high blood pressure, hypertension, high anxiety, depression. (laughs) I've never known of that. I, I don't know how that some of these scientists can tell you that dogs are colorblind. I mean, that's pretty cool to me. How do they tell you when the, when the tail wags like this, it means they want that. And when the tail wags like that, when tail, I don't know how they do that, but I've never seen a study where they've ever come up and said, you know, birds, they have high blood pressure. Birds, they're really stressed out all the time. You ever heard this, uh, this analogy? She eats like a bird. You ever heard that? Or he eats like a bird. It usually is, is in a context of saying that someone is just kind of picking at their food, right? But if you would understand that a bird actually consumes two to three times its weight every single day in food. So it's not someone picking at their food that eats like a bird. That'd be someone who's never satisfied with food. They always want more. Consider this. Jesus said, look at the birds. Consider the birds. They eat two to three times their weight every single day, yet they never plant, they never sow, they never cook a meal. God puts the berries out there on the trees but he doesn't put the berries in their mouths. They have to go and land on the branch and eat the berry and then go to another branch and find a berry. But they don't wake up in the morning thinking, I hope that there's gonna be enough berries for me today. And then here's what Jesus said. If you consider the birds, how much more, how much greater value, how much more expansive and vast does your heavenly father love you? 
He will provide the berries for the birds, but he provides you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You don't need to worry because God's got your back. God has you covered. God already has a plan. Nothing caught him by surprise. The problem you were going through didn't catch God by surprise. He already knew and he already made a way. All we must do is put our trust in that direction to put our faith in him. I just told you a minute ago, your job is to be educated as a citizen to vote, to pray, and then you trust. You put it in the hands of God. Every area of your life that you're anxious about, every area that you have concern about, there are some things in your mental capacities and your physical abilities that you should take action. Do all you can do, and then when you've come to the end of all you can do, trust God. We tell our kids this, do your best and trust God with the rest. That's pretty good advice for all of us, isn't it? Do your best and just leave it in the hands of God. Then he tells us to consider the fields, how the grass, it grows up quickly. It's here for a short season. It dies and it goes and it's thrown into a furnace. But yet God even prepares the fields and cares for them and covers all of them. If God takes care of the birds, he will provide for you. God wants to do good things for his children. God wants you to live a life of a testimony to other people. And so the blessing of God in your life will be a direct result of how that God is maneuvering you, putting you in positions and in places so that you can be a witness for him. I remember hearing about a lady that was a single mother and she was uh, a little bit tight at the end of the month, usually most, most months on groceries and, and, and food money. And so she would make a custom of praying about all of her needs all month long, but specifically at the end of the month, she would pray a little bit more fervent. Well, this particular day, she happened to have her window open and she's praying to the Lord, asking God for, for these needs to be fulfilled and she needed groceries and she wasn't sure exactly how it was gonna turn out for the rest of the week and her children were hungry and her neighbor happened to be an atheist and he never liked this woman. There was something about her that rubbed him the wrong way and he heard her praying this day fervently for these groceries and in his intent to prove God wrong, to prove to her that there was no God, he cocked a plan. He wanted to go down to the grocery store. He bought several bags of groceries, waited till she wasn't looking, knocked on her door, hid in the bushes and put the groceries at the door. She came to the door and she said, oh, praise the Lord. He provided again, praise the Lord. This atheist jumped out of the bushes and said, you silly woman. God didn't provide those groceries. I bought them with my own money. She started doing a little victory dance. She said, I've known for a long time God can use anything or anyone, but today he used you to prove that he's real. God wants to do in your life exceeding abundantly more than you can even ask, come on, or think. I don't know about you, but I can dream up some pretty big stuff. I'm like, are you sure, God? Because I can have some pretty fantastical things in my mind. I can have some pretty large requests. But the scripture says God wants to do more than you can even ask or imagine. So what are you dreaming about? What are you thinking about? Do you have dreams that are achievable at the knee level? Or are there some dreams in your heart? Are there some things that you're believing God for that are way over your head? Because listen, if it's over your head, it's under his feet. He can take care of it. He can do it. He wants to do it. He will prove himself faithful again and again and again. Will you trust him? 
Will you trust him? Will you give him your anxieties? Will you cast your cares on him? Will you give him all of those worries? Romans 8 and 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is a great giver. God so loved that he gave and he continues to give and give and give. Yet the most difficult and most simple question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Luke 12 and 29 says, and do not seek what you should eat or drink, nor have an anxious mind. Nor have an anxious mind. For these things the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows. You just need to hear this today. Your father knows. Your heavenly father, he knows what you have need of. He knows you need these things. And here's what Jesus says. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We serve a God of multiplication, of addition. He adds to us. Daily, he loadeth us with his blessings, his benefits, his goodness, his love. But Jesus references this anxious mind. As I was studying this, I drilled down a little further on what is an anxious mind and how do we even get that? Well, it's part of the fallen nature. It's part of the way that, that we have come, become accustomed to relying on ourselves for things. And when we rely on ourselves for some things, we can do pretty good for a while, but then we recognize that we outrun our own usefulness. We, we outkick our own coverage. And we get to the place where we can't do it anymore. And so an anxious mind is a learned mindset. It has to be taught to you by circumstances, by turmoil, by encounters, by disappointments. You create this mindset. And Jesus says, don't have an anxious mind. In other words, do not allow yourself to get so entrenched in the pattern of this world, which says, do it yourself. Trust nobody. You can't rely on others. Everyone's out to get you that there is something that is more pressing right in this moment than being present in the moment that you're in. You ever notice that we are in a, in a cycle and this is vacuum, this, this kind of cyclone of busyness and hurry in our culture? That we will tell the person we're talking to, oh, wait just a minute while we reach for our phone to see who's texting to us. And then we realize, oh, I already renewed my car warranty. I guess I don't need to take that call. There's so many distractions. There's so many things that are always picking and prying and trying to gain your allegiance. And Jesus said, you need to set aside, you need to get rid of, don't have an anxious mind. The apostle Paul tells it like this. He says that we are to put on the mind of Christ. That we are to take off this carnality, this mind of the flesh, of the world, of just taking care of our needs and the needs of, of those around us. And we are to bring on the mind of Christ, which is kingdom reality, that all these things will be added to us. You see, anxiety, stress, and worry, hear me, they're a real and unavoidable part of life. You're never going to avoid stress from rising in your midst. You're never going to avoid complete worry in your life. 
Jesus doesn't minimize nor does he deny their existence. Rather, he provides a different outlook. He provides a new lens by which you can see. You ever had to go to the, the doctor and get an update on your prescription for your eyes, for you get a, get a little bit of check on, on your vision? And the doctor says, oh, the lens you were using was no longer serving you well. Well, for some of us, the lens by which we're seeing things, the perspective, our outlook is no longer serving us well. And so Jesus says, why don't you start looking through this lens? What does it look like? to pursue the kingdom of God, to seek first the kingdom of God. See, what happens is we pursue all things, but Jesus said, no, you've got the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> You'll get that. He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, Amen. now all of these things will be added to you. So what does the kingdom of God look like? What does it mean to walk in and to seek this kingdom of God? Romans 14 and 17 says, for the kingdom of God, listen to the parallel of Jesus teaching about food and clothes and all this. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. There's eating and drinking in the kingdom of God. You have to have food, you have to have water, you have to have sustenance. But the kingdom of God is not at that level where we stop and camp out there and say, okay, I've had all I can have. No, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, which is right standing. When you can come boldly to the throne of grace because you know you were in right standing with your heavenly father. The kingdom of God is knowing that God is doing something significant in your life and that you do not deserve it in and of your own right, but by the blood of Jesus, God looks to you and says, that's one I died for. That is being righteous before God. Not accepting my own righteousness, which is like filthy rags, but rather the righteousness of Christ Jesus who loved me and died for me and gave himself for me so that I might have a right standing with God. And then in peace, the kingdom of God is peace. If you're in an environment that is all the time twisted and turning in uproar and in turmoil and, and constantly chipping and nagging at your soul, that's not peace. Dr. Lester Summerall used to say it like this. If you have to go and travel more than five miles from where you are right now just to find peace, you'll never find it. Sometimes you do have to get out of the, the circumstance, the environment, just a little bit, like withdraw yourself. Jesus even did that. He went to a, a solitude, a, des, a desolate place, a quiet place where he could pray. But he didn't go far. And when we find that centerness of our soul, the one whom our soul loves, when we can have that sweet communion, that sweet fellowship with our Father, we are walking in peace. Notice what he doesn't say is a characteristic of the kingdom, happiness. Now it's okay to be happy, it's good to be happy, but happiness depends on the happenings, the things around you. Joy, that is the, the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Joy is something on the inside. I can be crying tears on the outside, but joyful in my heart on the inside. Why? Because the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the kingdom being sought, being walked out, being lived in is where it's at. So in closing, I want to ask you this. If you find yourself engulfed with worry, overcome by stress, 
anxiety mounting in your mind or being overcome by fear. Today, I want to invite you to do just one thing. Just one thing. It's not hard. It's very simple. But it's difficult because we don't want to let go. And it's found in James chapter four. It says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, warn, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Listen, God has no favorites, but he does have some intimates. He does have some that have chosen to draw close and closer still. And so if you have anxiety, stress, worry, tension, fear, I invite you to do one thing, draw close to God. You say, but pastor, I don't know how to do that. It's easy like this. Dear God, I come to you today just like I am. I'm stressed. I'm worried, I have anxiety, I'm crippled by fear, but I come. I draw close to you today. I say yes to Jesus and his abundant life. Receive me. I cast my cares on you, for I know you care for me. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, or anything like it, we want you to tell someone. Let them know that God has started to activate something on the inside of you, that God has begun a work in you. And here's what the word promises, that he who has begun a good work in you will see it through till the day of Jesus Christ.